The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. What does motion sound like? With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, it sounds a little something like this. Experience the magic of motion. Get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the Danny Button Show, episode number 28, I think. I think. I always forget, and I always forget to check. I think it's 28. We'll go with 28. We are talking <coughs> MMA today, UFC from last night, with the main event of Curtis Blades versus Alexander Volkov, and uh, all the bits in between. Some great fights, some good stuff to talk about. As usual, you can check all our shows, this this series and all our other series, uh, live or recorded, depending on what show it is, at youtube.com slash acepodcastnation and uh, all the audio versions of the usual platforms, radio apps, podcasting apps. And uh, this past Monday, we had the Andy Campbell Football Show live with special guest, former Liverpool and Stoke midfielder, current Reading midfielder, Charlie Adam. And uh, this coming Friday, we have the Andy Campbell Championship Show live, 7 o'clock, previewing the championship programme for the weekend, as well as talking about last weekend's games. Plus, Sunday, we have a podcast on cricket, talking with West Indian cricketer uh, Kieran Powell, as well as former Glamorgan cricketer Naira Norman, and previewing the West Indies versus England series, which starts in, I think it's next week, or maybe the week after. But uh, without further ado, joining me to talk last night's UFC, or Saturday's UFC, because this is Wednesday, I am joined by uh, former Cage Warriors champion, UK MMA legend, Mr. Daniel. That'll Bryan. be me. That'll be you. How are you, sir? Yeah, I'm doing really good, sir. Good week, good week. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Productive I ask, week. I ask you this every week. You do. I'll give you the same answer. Gyms, <laughs> when are they opening? Come on. I still don't know. One, still one waiting. of these weeks, you're going to say, opening on Monday. Ah, oh, man, if only, honestly. No news is good news, as they say, mm-hmm. I think. Not this but time maybe. around. <laughs> and uh, joining us is professional MMA fighter, Mr. Richard Mearns. Welcome, my friend. How are you? I'm good, thanks. How are you doing? All right, mate. All right, it's good. Got the uh, the other half of the Moons Brothers on now with full house, full house for Ace Podcast Nation. That's right, like collecting them, collecting Moons Brothers. But uh, yeah, so overall, Dan, what did you think last night's UFC? I actually really enjoyed it. I I think it was another good one. Um, 
yeah, I, I enjoyed watching all the fights, to be fair. So, yeah, for me, the, the, the main fight had a little lull in its repetitiveness in what was happening, which became a little bit you know, frustrating to watch. Um, but it also livened up in the last round too, so it made it worthwhile watching in the end. Yeah, Richard, what about you? Oh, like overall thoughts of the the main card? Yeah, I thought it was a really good card. Um, the main event, like, I mean, it was a great performance from Blades, but um, it wasn't like the most exciting fight in the card. Uh, my favourite was uh, Josh Emmett versus um, what's his name, Shane Burgos. I'd never mm-hmm. seen Shane fight before. Um, but yeah, Josh Emmett's absolute powerhouse, and I was surprised that he could take them shots, and that wasn't yeah, was ended sooner. Yeah. yeah, it was unbelievable stuff. The um, I thought it was a pretty good card. I thought that fight in particular was like you're talking at the end of this year when they go through like the top twenty fights of the year. That will easily, easily be in it. Um, but I thought the the female fight, the Raquel Pennington fight, was pretty good. Um, I thought the the opener as well on the main card I thought was pretty good as well, um, so it's relatively enjoyable. Um, I'm just filling because I've lost the card, so I'm just trying to look where it is. Okay. Um, well, I, what I was the first fight? Put... That'll be. Oh, there you go. Was it um, Jim Miller? That was it. Ro- Jim Miller and Roosevelt uh, Roberts. What did you think of this one, Dan? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit of a fan of Miller. I never used to be, but I've really warmed to him. Um, you know, in his twilight years. But so, although we say twilight years, he, he really is still in there. He could really beat anybody on any given day. Um, this was a catch weight. So I take it they were, that either one of them or both of them were out from a full training camp, you know, maybe for still COVID reasons. Um, so, yeah, I did worry that Millie would struggle with the size advantage that Roberts had over him. But... Uh, Miller just looked sharp. He did exactly the right thing. He was giving away a lot of height, a lot of reach, um, and a lot of speed to Robert. So it really put it in Robert's favour to to have a simple strategy, try and stay out, stay away, and keep it long. But Miller enforced his tactics on him, got in close, got it to the ground, and, and worked slick there. I mean, he really is slick. He's got a really good guillotine, as we know. We've seen that in the past. He's had a fair few uh, guillotine wins. He was fishing for it. Roberts was aware of it, um, but that armbar transition, when he fell off Roberts' back, I, I was a little bit worried. Um, and this actually, you know, while we got Richard Mearns here, uh, his brother Tom Mearns had a fight where he was on someone's back, very, very similar. And um, he fell off and done a really lovely transition to an armbar. That was and, the Ipswich um, Contenders card, right? Yeah, I remember. yeah. Very, very, really, really slick. And um, this was, you know, equally so, equally so slick. Roberts really made a mistake in trying to lift up. Um, any good jujitsu, ju- uh, good jujitsu coach will be telling you that when someone's trying to extend out their hips to straighten out your arm, the last thing you want to do is lift someone up because you're carrying their body weight as well as their technique of their hips thrusting through on the arm. And he stood up. I mean, some people can get away with it and power slam <coughs> people, but it really is a crude way of escaping an armbar or trying to get out of an armbar attempt. Yes, it can look nice on your highlight reel, but it can also get you finished. And I feel like Roberts just led into temptation. I think he was overconfident. Um, uh, I, I can't remember that. Uh, well, it's been saying that Roberts was messaging him just 20 minutes before he was going out to fight. Mm-hmm. Um, and so he's obviously feeling really, really confident. Totally underrated Miller. And that was a huge, huge mistake and ultimately cost him this fight. But well done to, to Miller. So impressed with him. Yeah, Miller took the 
one of the performance of the night bonuses for that finish as well. And uh, yeah, deserved. His armbar uh, game is just is is so strong that you know it was uh, once he sort of got him to that one position, it was you could see it was going to be game over one way or the other, whether it was going to be an armbar or a guillotine, which whichever way it was going, it was going to be mm. over because he made that initial error <clears throat> or he made that error when they were on the ground and you just couldn't see him getting out of it. Yeah. Um, what about you, Richard? What did you make of this one? Um, yeah, it was a good fight. I didn't, um, so I watched it last night and I couldn't really recall much of the um, build-up to the wards, the armbar. Um, and then he just, that's all I really remember of that fight is actually the armbar. Mm. Sort of, yeah, because it uh, was the prettiest bit. Yeah, yeah. Pr- it's round one, wasn't it? Like, um, yeah, yeah. yeah. It's all, all in the first round. It's all, all go, go, go. And it was um, nicely done. Um, I felt um, so. Yeah. When um, what's his face? Who's he fighting again? Um, Roberts. Roosevelt. Roberts. Roosevelt. So Roberts. Roberts. Yeah. Stood up, but he didn't like. As he stood up, the whole arm straightened. He could have like perhaps put his knee on um, on Miller's butt, try and peel him off the arm. But um, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah you got to keep him crumpled, don't you? To, to yeah, stop him hyperextending the arm. You got to repress those hips, and you got to stack. You got to push it. And he was up against the fence as well, so he could have used yeah. that in his favour. Yeah. I mean, maybe stand up and slam him when you're out in the open, but you've got the cage there. <laughs> Use it. Stack him. Uh, you know, put his hips over his head, crumple yeah. him down, and then start edging that arm out. Um, hips. Um, sorry, with the knee against the arse, that's one way of doing it. Or you can put the knee onto the ribs as well once you feel the legs fatigue, and that way you can start edging the arm out in a safe way. But you can't go lifting the arms where the hips can follow. Just not not good practice at all. But unfortunately, you know, in the past we've seen people get away with this poor technique by being incredibly strong, or maybe the guy latching onto an armbar has not been as slick as someone like Miller. And when people see people get away with things, um, they subconsciously take it on and they end up doing it when they're under pressure. Um, it's a little bit maybe of what happened to Roberts, but Roberts is still a very very good fighter. I think he will have learnt from this, and I hope the main lesson he learnt more than being armbarred is that you can't underestimate anyone not in the UFC no indeed mm. and I think um, Jim Mill is 30, 36 now so I think like he's going to want to get up towards that title picture as quick as possible because you know when you hit those mid 30s if you have yeah. any sort of losing streak in the UFC you're going to get replaced <laughs> by uh, you know by younger guys it's just a fact yeah. of uh, you know, it's a fact he's been of floating around He's been floating around the weights now, hasn't he? Yeah. Like I yeah. think he's done featherweight, lightweight, and then he's done this catchweight. So I think initially, although, of course, I think ultimately he would love it to have another title shot, I think he's in there because he can still get wins. He's got, obviously getting paychecks, and I think he just loves it. You can just mm. tell he's really relaxing there. It's like he's at home, and it always performs good, even when he's unfortunate and loses, or not unfortunate, you know, faces the better man. He's loving it in there, and and he's performing good, win or lose. He had a big uh, layoff, didn't he? Like last year because of Lyme disease. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, he's, uh, uh, did yeah. He? I didn't know yeah, about he's that. Got Lyme, really? Lyme yeah, he got really yeah. ill. Oh wow, yeah. that can be really serious. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. it was. I think it was for him because I remember when he he won his comeback fight, and he was explaining to the crowd like how much he struggled with it. So he was out right. for a while. I missed that. out on that. I didn't know that yeah. about him. Yeah. But, yeah. Because, um, you know, that can be, it affects people in different ways, doesn't it? But, um, mm-hmm. you know, it can be deadly. Like, it's, um, I know, yeah, I remember right. at the time there was a lot of, uh, you know, they, a lot of people were saying he won't fight again. So even for him to come yeah. back 
Yeah, and, uh, even more. Know, just to be able to do it is impressive. Uh, is impressive. Mm. But to, to mm. perform at the level that he did, um, you know, is even better, isn't it? Um, so next up, we had uh, Bella Belal Mahmood versus Lyman Good. Uh, I thought this was a pretty good fight, actually. I really enjoyed this. Yeah. Um, what about it? Right, take us through the first round then, uh, Dan. Yeah, but Bilal just really impressed me with um, his footwork. It can look a little negative, but he was zigzagging and looking to throw down centre line um, when uh, Good when Good was trying to find him. He would sort of throw down the centre line and, and zigzag his stance, and uh, that that really impressed me. I think it was a really good game plan. Um, Good was clearly an athletic, explosive, strong-looking guy. You, you know, he looks so so solid. Um, and Bilal didn't want to lock horns with him. And, and I was just really impressed with that, that he was really doing well with it. It made it difficult for me to know whether, though, Bilal did enough striking to warrant getting the win in around with the amount of avoiding, you know, locking horns and getting tr into trading positions with good. Mm. Um, so I, I, I even put the round maybe going against him. I was, but I was really not too sure how they was going to judge it. I, I was really liking what he was doing. I just weren't too sure whether he was uh, being able to throw throw enough to make up for that that backward game that he was doing. So, who did you give that round to? Did you say sorry, Dan? I, I'm uh, I, I'm going to give it to Good for the fact that he was just okay. stalking him down. What did you make of that first round, uh, Rich? Uh, I I I thought um, Bilal was mainly in control for like most of the fight because mm. mm. um, Good was just marching forwards, absolutely yeah. stacked guy and. Um, so I usually look at a fight and think, oh, cool, he's dominating centre of the cage. That's good. That's positive. But in his sense, it wasn't. I felt like he was just plodding forwards. And then and then I feel like Mohamed actually had like a proper strategy, a lot of lateral footwork. Mm. And then, then when he grounds his feet, it would land a flurry of strikes and move again. Move, move, mm. move, strike, move, move, move. And good was just all around sort of just trying to chase him down. I didn't yeah, see. Yeah, he wasn't able to throw, was he? Mm. he, he, he I think... Quick high kick, though, because he's so stacked. Yeah. So when he, he threw the, the, the left high kick, high kick really um, fast, I was like, wow. Um, mm. I didn't expect him to be able to do that for such a jacked-looking guy. Mm. But, yeah. yeah I, was, I, gave... I was mostly impressed with Bilal, like, all fight. Yeah, yeah. yeah just the too. game plan I, was I simple. Was pretty much the same as you, actually, Richard. I thought I gave it to Bilal um, Muhammad, and I felt like he was pretty much in control for the for the whole round. Um, mm. Second round, uh, Dan? Yeah, I mean, very, very slim, similar to, to the first, really. But Bilal started getting his work rate off. It, it looked like he was really um, establishing his strategy. It was starting to take effect. Um, and for good, you know, he, he was just staying in such a, a, a typical traditional striker stance. And he was trying to footwork around like he would in a ring rather than a cage. Um, wasn't switching up his stance to try and match Bilal. Uh, didn't seem to know how to uh, bring Bilal back into to sort of like his vision of striking. Um, he was always a step behind with his footwork. And it, so it was kind of like, looked like he was waiting to hope to land a big shot, which did come in obviously in that third round. But yeah, it, it just looked like he become like a, someone that was running after something he was trying to hit and just couldn't hit it. You know, it's just like trying to squat that fly on a warm day that keeps landing on your stake and you can't get it. it. It looked like that. It just looked like he just couldn't connect with Balau. Um And that, that started to really, really impress me. Uh, you knew he had a set game plan and it, it started to really come into effect in that second round for me. Mm. 
Yeah, I um I, I really thought he took charge in the second round. Um Richard, how mm. did you get that second round? Second round, um Bilal, I I believe had that all round. Um good. He was mainly just throwing singular shots, not combinations, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and then yeah. whereas Bilal would was moving lots and then when he did throw, he'd throw a, a flurry of punches, landing more. Um I did notice also the uh, one of the commentators mentioned, I don't know if this was in round two or three, but um, that Good's father passed away like yeah, yeah. four weeks ago. Really, really, really recently, wasn't it? So, and what, it's a day before Father's Day. That could, that's, yeah. that could, that can affect your performance massively, I think. Uh, well, might have, might I, have a lot the, on his mind. Mate, the way I look at it is my, like my, uh, my old man passed away uh, when I was 16. It's like over 20 two years ago or something i'm 39 this year so whatever, yeah. 14 years uh, 24 years ago and today still was difficult for me mm. yet you know his father passed away in the last four weeks and he had to go and fight at the you know the very top level against the guy yeah. who was very very good four weeks isn't family. a long time to process no. and grieve so I, I don't think it's i don't know if, you, if you're dealing with uh, like a loss like that it might be I don't know. Who knows? If I ain't so personal, everyone's got their own ways around it. Maybe because he still performed good and he still looked good in the fight. But it's it's UFC. It's it's the cream of the crop. The best fighters in the world, and your preparation and and your mental state needs to be perfect as well. Yeah, it's so, difficult. Yeah. And like you say, it's different for everyone. Everyone um, grieves in a different way. Everyone trains mm. and fights in a different way, and everyone thinks in a different way. So what you know, what might work for me might not work for you, and you know, and all different things like that. But, mm. um, like you say, when it's the, the cream of the crop and the very, you know, it's the most elite company in the world for mixed martial arts, mm. you do wonder whether, um, you know, how how much he was able to to focus. But then again, maybe he used the training to, to help him through those yeah. weeks. Yeah. So, I was certainly surprised when, uh, when they mentioned it, i got to say. Mm. Yeah, I likely had an impact, I think, on his on his mindset going into the fight. 100%. Um, round three, Dan. Mm. Okay, yeah, round three. Um, finally, you know, good gets the result that he was perhaps waiting for, which is to, to land one of those power shots, and he got it on Bilal. Um, but Bilal, the good thing about Bilal's game is that he has got that wrestling to fall back on, and I think that was his saving grace. You know, he got knocked to the ground, he managed to get back up, he managed to get to clinch and try and smother the productive work that Good so needed, really, to try to come back into the fight or, or to get the win. Uh, but then you had that situation towards the latter part of the round, which is the worst-case scenario for Good. He does all that hard work. He, he gets the knockdown. He, he's chasing, actually getting some score along with the uh, strikes that he's throwing because Bilal's footwork has been compromised. Uh, but then he, he gets taken down, gets his back taken. And, uh, yeah, he, he was there possibly long enough to, to give the judges nod for him uh, and would give him the fight. And, indeed, you know, he went to decision in favour of Palau. I think that was the right decision. Um, and with that kind of performance, you can only wonder who they're going to stick in against Palau. And you have to have confidence Palau can find a way to win against anyone because clearly this guy understands strategy. And not just understand it, but also understands how to put it in inflammation uh, for the actual fight as well. Yeah, I mean, we 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 talk about fight IQ a lot, and mm. um, like 
Michael Bispin mentioned on commentary that he felt that if uh, Bilal hadn't got that uh, takedown towards the end, um, he felt like it was a 10-8 round right. to, uh, to good, which would have, I think, made right. the scores even, uh, which would have made yeah. it a draw if it was a 10-8 round. So, sure. you know, knowing that good had dominated that third round, you know, he could he could have coasted it knowing that you mm. know he'd won the first two rounds, but he didn't want to take the risk and he you know, he pushed for it, he got the takedown. Yeah. Finished he finished the fight looking for a rear naked choke. Yeah. The round is ten nine and then of course you know, he, even though good takes that last round. Although But would have he? I don't know. Yeah, it's difficult I don't know how say, they scored that last round. It was yeah. it's a weird one. Um what did you make of that third round, uh, Rich? Uh, yeah, it was good. Um, it was nice to see Good get the result. Um, so he dropped him, and then I think um, Bilal sort of managed to sort of not lose the round so bad by scoring two takedowns within the round. So mm. it was yeah. good, but it was just a little too late from Lyman. Yeah, and I it was I thought it was a really entertaining fight. Though you know, overall, mm. I thought it was really good to watch. It was interesting from start <laughs> to finish. Um, you know, it wasn't like. Um, it wasn't like a banger like uh, the uh, Burgos versus Emmett fight, you know, which was just hell mm. for leather for three rounds. But it was it was That's interesting. My fight, it was yeah, mm. it was real good. Mine too. <laughs> um, but like it was, you know, it was an interesting fight, and it was there was never a point where I was a bit like in the main event. There was a point, or there was points where I was a bit like mm, not bored, but ugh, come on, let's let's. I want. I was looking at Volkov and thinking, come on, with, with, can we, with can we try and push it a bit? With that main card, I feel like there were some things that, like, Volkov's, like, you know, should be top of his game in the UFC. But, like, when um, Blade, I don't know if we're going too far ahead here, but when Blade's heading him down and he's just not posting him on the head at all mm. to get to yeah, get he any didn't seem to have the knowledge. Didn't have yeah, the knowledge, it's really like. really basic stuff that Danny's teaching mm. us all the time. Again, all, mm. of, all of our amateurs know to do it. And um, mm. I don't know, he didn't. I don't know. I don't, we'll, maybe we're going a bit too like. Yeah, we'll, we get, get, we'll get into that when when we get to there. Say about, but, the one yeah. thing I will say, um, when me and Danny were previewing the Curtis Blades, uh, or when we were previewing this card last week at the end of last week's show, is um, mm -hmm. I don't think me or you realised Dan quite how good Curtis Blades' record is. Um, like he's only lost to two fights out of his yeah. ten within the UFC. He's had seventeen mm -hmm. professionally. He's only lost two. Both of them were yeah. to uh, Nganu, which, you know, you can kind of excuse. <laughs> he's beaten mm. some big, big names like Dos Santos. He's beaten Volkov. Yeah. Uh, you know, he's... Who else? He's beaten Mark Yeah, the reason... He's beaten Overeem, you know? Yeah. Or, or, oh, yeah. He's, he's, he's definitely good because he can strike well as well, Blade, as well as wrestle well. But I just thought the really long body composition of Volkov being six foot seven... Um, I think that would have posed problems being over that it's over five rounds. And that's why I really went for him. I think over three rounds, I would have gone for Blade. I'm thinking the five rounds, you're, I was thinking, well, m maybe from round three onwards, Volkov would start taking over with his striking. And I just couldn't see Blade perhaps getting through it. But Blade took enough out of Volkov um, and actually continued to take him down over four rounds. And it was only really in the last round that Volkov looked like he might be able to try to do something to try and, you know, push hard yeah, yeah. and stop the fight for a win. But I was really disappointed in, in Volkov's game. Um, you know, Richard was right, really. He was missing some basic foundations uh, to, to scramble him back up. 
I know his body composition is a little bit difficult to deal with for himself, uh, but you can also, in turn, once you're educated in the right way, know how to make your body composition be difficult for someone else. And that long frame, those long arms, he wasn't using them well enough to scramble back up or to stay away from being taken down in the first place. Um, the first takedown that... in the guard as well. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, could you... only in round use four, elbows. Did I start seeing a few um, elbows being yeah, dropped. and with his exactly long right. reach, he could stuff him right down into the guard and really yeah. chop them elbows down. If someone wants to keep taking you down and you cut them, then it's going to make yeah. it um, more lubrication. You're going to be able to slip out of the takedowns easier. Sure. I don't yeah, know, yeah. but he didn't start doing any of these things till like the fourth round. Yeah, yeah, you're right. If he started and elongating his closed guard for which he had the body frame to do so and started raining down yeah. those elbows, um, Blade would have been forced to rise up with his posture to protect mm -hmm. himself from those strikes and get off his own strikes. And of course, that gives space for those long legs for Volkov yeah. to get him in between him and Blade and get those scramble ups. But there was no such strategy at play. Um, you know, ultimately, Volkov's <laughs> the one that's in there. They may well have trained him to do all this and he just didn't do it. In, in the in the uh, in the cage, but you've got to wonder whether his team prepared him properly. Yeah, um, I don't, we'll we'll get back to the the Curtis Blades fight. Oh so, yeah, so we've kind of eaten it all up now, haven't we? That one, yeah, we <laughs> there's ahead. still plenty of to talk about. But um, yeah, absolutely, yeah, so there's a lot went on. Bel Bel Mahmoud um, Mohammed uh, defeated Lyman Good by unanimous decision, 29 28 29 28 mm. Um. Okay, next up we had Raquel Pennington, who's uh, ranked number six, versus Marion Ron, 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 is it it was funny the other week when jordan commented in the uh in the comments of the live show mm. and you said i i can I, I can pronounce his name you jumped in and then you said it wrong yep i said it wrong again one of my favorite <laughs> favorite moments um yeah mm. so raquel pennington obviously ranked number six uh, they were talking after this fight about her facing uh potentially facing nunez next mm. i've got to say um i think nunez would absolutely eat her up in every way. Yeah, I, I um, think so. I don't think she's quite there yet. Mm. And I hope I actually kind of hope that they don't put her in that fight because I think with time, I think Raquel Pennington's got quite a lot of potential to be um, a real title contender. I just don't mm. think she's quite ready at the moment. But yeah, the thing is, if people keep on waiting and uh, yeah. Nunes might retire, that, that's the thing. Which, of course, opens it all back up again. But I'm sure Pennington would love to have a shot at Nunes uh, and try and create an upset. And she definitely was much improved in this. Um, which, to me, she was always one of the better girls anyway. Um, and she showed that she's still improving and adding things into her game. You know, we see some new things that she wasn't doing before. And she was doing it quite impressively. And Renee is, you know, she's a good, legit fight herself. Every round was fairly close, but... I just felt like Pennington had that edge. She was a little bit bigger. Um, she kept going for that single um, arm tie clinch, which is something we cover a lot, or we have done in our classes over the years. And she was going for that double tie clinch holder. Clearly, this was a strategy. Um, and it uh, you know, got her some results. Um, I was quite impressed with it. She's always, always over trying to block 
with a forearm or get that single arm tie clinch or that double tie clinch is all designed to get space to threaten those knees. Um, and then off the break, she was really impressive too. She had really sharp flurries. I, I really liked her game. Renee was always in there. Um, she always had the chance to pinch back the round, but it just never happened because Pennington was just not making that many mistakes. And she kept pushing the actions. So for me, she just kept on edging the rounds in her favour. Yeah, I thought so. Well, um, Rich, what yeah. did you make of this first round for Pennington and uh, Ron Rene? Rene, Rene. Yeah, it was good. I think um, Raquel definitely had the striking advantage. Um, she mm. was doing a nice, um, was it a, a lead left hook and then followed with a short elbow? That was yeah. really nice. Nice little technique there. Um, mm. And then she, she was sort of dominating on against the fence for a little while as well. Yeah, it was. Um, I noticed uh, that there was one point yeah. where she nearly got taken down. I think it was, uh, I think it was, uh, Renee nearly took Pennington down, and she grabbed the fence, kept mm. her balance, mm. and the referee mm. was looking at it, and he kind of, it was almost like he thought, "Oh, I'm just gonna pretend I didn't see that," and I was like, "Oh, come <laughs> on," because it, it, it literally kept her on her feet. And right. I think that takedown could have changed the whole momentum mm. of the round. I mean, I think uh, Renee's striking looked vicious still. Mm. Yeah, she still looked good. She looked dangerous. But um, yeah, I gave that first round to Pennington, just Mm. about. um, And but like you say, uh, Renee's striking looked very dangerous, but Pennington just—I don't know how to explain what the word I'm looking for is. She just looked a bit cleaner and a bit. um, I thought her footwork footwork was very good. And her balance, Raquel Pennington's balance is actually very, very good. It's really impressive yeah. um, when she's not using the cage to, to keep her <laughs> to keep her balance. That is, but um, they make all this big deal of like people grabbing the cage when then you know when they've got their fingers in the cage and they're on their back, and then when they actually use the cage to stop themselves being taken down, mm-hmm. they let it slide. And it's like, come on, let's get it a little bit consistent. Yeah. Um, Okay, let's switch it up a bit. Richard, you take us through uh, your thoughts of round two, mate. Uh, yep, um, Raquel, all the way again. Um, she'd done this nice little sort of she'd slight subtle head movement and then right uppercut, left hook, which was nice. Um, and I just think she's uh, her boxing in the pocket really sort of secured, her, secured her the fight. But, um, and then um, Renee got a takedown in round two. I remember that. But I, I don't think she kept her down for too long, did she? No, Can't no, it was only brief. No. She couldn't keep her down there. I just, I just think Raquel just was just outscoring her on the boxing, mm. and uh, mm. her boxing close range is really good. Yeah, it's yeah. very impressive, she... and like in the pocket, and where just like, like um, kind of like dirty boxing, and it just like mm. when you're in that clinch, that was... just giving nice body shots and shots to the chin and the side. The combo the that I really recognise. She would dip her head. To sort of make way for the uppercut, throw the uppercut through mm. the middle, and then left hook. Mm. It was really nice. Mm. Yeah, I thought Pennington was very impressive in this fight overall. Um, I thought she used really good technique, particularly with her strikes. Um, yeah. And she showed that, like, I think people knew anyway that she's got the ability to be a, a top tier fighter yeah. and be, you know, a, a, a top three in the world fighter. Mm. But I think sometimes with her, they've she's had a couple of serious injuries. Um, which ironically, her two really serious injuries came outside the cage. Um, I think one was snowboarding and one was like on an ATV uh, and she crashed mm. it. And she, I think she yeah. broke her back and then broke her leg, I think. I might be right. 
but like, I think fighters sometimes got extreme hobbies outside of MMA. Yeah. They, Adrenaline they, rush. When they, when they do other hobbies, they kind of feel some kind of like, oh, it's not that dangerous. Because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. you know is, is it not enough to get punched in the face every day yeah. and kicked in the face every day and choked out yeah. every day that you also need yeah. to go and break your back <laughs> snowboarding? But anyway, <laughs> that's just me. But um, what did you make of round two, Dan? Yeah, um, I, I just think she was... Um, doing hitting her flurries, it's like this was a preset thing in her training. She'd been practicing these strikes off the off the break, and um, she was using short range shots uh, better than Renee was um, with her knees, elbows, and uh, hooks and uppercuts. And I think this was what was really was just giving her the edge. As soon as there was a little bit of space, she was filling that space with these combinations that were going back in close again. And she always looked like she was slightly bigger than Renee as well. And I think that was um, going against Renee as well. Uh, but Renee was always in there. She she was um, striking back with tenacity, but just was like a, a beat behind on the scorecard uh, for me, um, you know, all the time. I think we're going to see these these girls fight again in the future, though. Yeah, you wouldn't be surfi- surprised to see uh, Renee come back and fight Pennington later down the line. Because sure. I've, like um, like Richard said, her striking was very very good, and you know maybe with a bit more. A uh, bit more experience, a bit more mm. training, and and you know you don't know what their training camps have been like in these fights, uh, with all the fighters. Mm. You just don't know how what mm. access they've had to the facilities. Have they only had access to the you know facilities since they've known they're fighting on this card? So like the last couple of weeks, or have they been able to train for a month or you know more than that? It's it's difficult to know. Um, She's going think... to need to practice that um, defending that tie clinch. Yeah. When she goes back to training, she's stuck in that for quite a long time. Yeah, numerous times as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, but I think yeah, it's a case of she's one to keep an eye on, and I can certainly see why she was in that top ten. Um, like she, I thought she showed enough to show that she's got something about her for the future. Um, mm. Like I said, they're talking of Pennington for the. Um, for the title against Nunes, I would like to see her fight someone else first, maybe someone mm. in the top three, um, and give that fight to someone else. The problem being, one, like you mentioned, Dan, Nunes mm. may retire, and two, yeah. you've also got the added thing that Nunes has pretty much steamrolled everyone, so there's mm. not a great deal of opponents, so they might be forced to put her up against Pennington. Yeah. I would like to see Pennington have at least another fight, maybe another two before she fought Nunes to really, mm. really... So she goes in there at like the top of her game and as sharp as possible. But then, of course, mm. you know, in the fight game, as you two well know, you know, she could go into those two fights before the Nunes fight with the plan of fighting you know, X and Y before she fights Nunes and get knocked mm. out in the first round of the first yeah. fight or the second fight and the title shot's gone. And you know, mm. sometimes you've got to take, uh, you know, you've got to take that title fight or that big fight when you get the opportunity to take it. Sure. Um, so the finish was uh, Renee and Pennington exchanged some elbow strikes to the head. Uh, Pennington looks for a takedown. Renee defends uh, while landing some, uh, and then sorry, and then the uh, yeah sorry the end of the round I got confused there. Uh, Renee was landing some nice elbow strikes as the round ended. Um, and then we go into the third round. Uh, Danny, third round. Yeah, Pennington just kept driving Renee back. She was, um, you know, just getting the better of the exchanges. 
she was clinching up, getting the better of the clinch. She started getting that, that double arm uh, tie clinch, working those knees. Uh, Renee started to look a little bit draggled now and started to look a little bit more tired. Like I say, she always kept herself apparent in there. But when she put Pennington against the fence, it was from you know, just momentary and Pennington would turn her with, with real vigour. Um, yeah, it was just it was just going Pennington's way more and more as the fight went on for me. And yeah, uh, there's another that, solid round. I thought those those clinches and the tie clinches and the body mm. shots and the shots in the in the clinch. I felt like yeah. in the third round they had really taken effect on her stamina and Absolutely. her fatigue, like big time. Um, what did you anything to add, Rich, on that third round, mate? Not really. I can't think of anything overly significant that makes the third round stand out to me, other than just the usual uh, Raquel yeah, dominating the boxing and the clinch. They had yeah, that they had a wild, wild exchange, didn't they, towards the end of the mm. third round, where they both just kind of were swinging. But again, you know, it was weird because you felt like if Rene was going to pick up a win. She was going to have to knock Pennington out or submit her in that final round. Yeah. Um, and just towards the end, they had this kind of wild striking exchange. And I was thinking, right, now Rene really needs to, you know, capitalize on that. She needs to keep it like that and keep that kind of insane pace. And then she grabbed Pennington and put her up against the cage and kind of, I felt like that played into Pennington's hands. One, because she was doing so well in the clinch with her own striking. But also, it just slowed it down completely to close out the round. Um, and Pennington ended up hitting her with a couple of elbow strikes whilst they were in the clinch, you know, like she had done all, all fight, really. Um, and then it finished off with just Pennington in the clinch, hitting some knee strikes. And mm. it was right at the end. And I felt like when they had that exchange, they re it would have been in Rene's best interest to really keep that kind of blow-for-blow blow exchange going. If she yeah. gets knocked out, then she gets knocked out. But she was going to lose the fight on points anyway. Mm. Um, and it, it was weird to me that she slowed it down. And it was weirder still that she took it into the clinch where Pennington had dominated the fight. Dominated, yeah. Yeah, there you go. Here's where it is. Uh, Pennington won a unanimous decision. 30-27, 29-28, And then we had an absolute blockbuster. And a banger, as they say, on the, the youth say, so I'm told. A banger. Um, number eight ranked Joss Emmett faced number 10 Shane Burgos in what can only be described as fight of the night, probably fight of the year or one of the fights of the year at least. It was mm, very, it very was entertaining. Um, Richard, take us through the first round. Um, yeah, first round... Um... Mostly Josh Emmett is controlling the fight. Um, he was so quick and sort of just dying in and out, throwing crazy overhands. And uh, he was landing, landing high-volume punches. Um, Shane Burgos uh, is typically just countering with um, an inside leg kick. And I think he'd done some... Uh, there was a point in that first round where um, Josh hurt his leg. It wasn't yeah, just... Uh, he... Like he like stamped down very, very early on. Yeah, he stamped his foot down. You can see it in the replay. He stamped yeah. it like he almost hyperextends it. So something obviously so, troubled him, but... In the um, post-match yeah, interview, like they said he... In the post-match interview, they said he tore his ACL in the first ah. 15 seconds of the fight. Jesus. So ah. for him to fight for three rounds... And, and he still moved really win, well after. 
Yeah. Yeah. And 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 not just win. And you know, he didn't just like hide away. He fought an incredible fight. If that's the case, that he did tear his ACL, that's incredible, mate. It shows mm. what. Yeah. Not just the the mental. Uh, I think the steel, but just the physical. I think ability Shane might have picked up on it though that he was having a problem with his leg because that's all Shane mm. was really doing in the first fight. He was throwing in the first round, throwing lots of uh, calf kicks to yeah. the lead leg, outside calf kicks to the lead leg. And when um, when Josh rushes in, he would then counter after his flurry with an inside leg kick. That's it to the lead leg yeah. still. So he's mainly targeting the lead leg, lead leg, but. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, I think you're right. Yeah, when Burgos was attacking the outside of the leg, I I think it was trying to assess, you know, as there'd been damage done, and he was trying to capitalize mm. on that. But I think when he was kicking on the inside leg, I think this strategy was to try and take away the power from the Emmett's cross hand. Yeah. Um, so I think that wasn't to target the leg, just to target the leg. I think it's trying to take off, take away some of that that mm. balance, so that uh, Josh would Josh Emmett would have less power. But everything, Joshua, you've got. I'm impressed with the guy. He's like mid thirties now, and he comes in with fitness and cardio and explosivity of someone you know a lot younger. Um, obviously, uh, absolute workhorse of a man in training camp uh, for his strength and conditioning. Um, I remember hearing as well in the commentation, uh, commentating that they were complimenting his boxing coach, you know, on how how good his hands are. Um, but. They said about how Emmett said that his power is just something that's always been from the time that he learned his striking. And you could just mm. tell that that is natural. Um, it didn't look like it was false power. It's just it's just yeah. there for him. It looked unbelievable, his power. Like, mm. I don't know if um, the, the size advantage of Shane is what helped him take this, the shots. but I think so. Well, I think there's two things that they was landing. Like... And I think there's two things in uh, Bogo's favour that helped him take that and keep him relevant. Because I think Emmett would have put a lot of guys out of commission um, mm. in the first two rounds with yeah. the way he was throwing down. Um, one was the fact that, yeah, Burgos is a big guy, um, considerable height advantage. Um, and I would su suggest he's naturally the bigger man in body weight too. But he had yeah. such good form with his head. Um, he had his chin tucked and it just did not budge. He kept it down. But nevertheless, even with a well-placed chin and head position and a good yeah. guard, you keep on getting hit with that kind of Ross at your shot. Now, eventually, going to start knocking you on your ass um, and because you can brace yeah. the shots. And but after a while, even with a tucked down chin, when you keep receiving vigorous shots like that, your head will start ripping back, and that's what you saw in the latter rounds. Emmett started getting success. I was so impressed because you got to think, you know, Emmett's quite considerably shorter, really is. So he had to think about footwork in trying to avoid what Burgos was going to do to try and counter yeah. him, um, and had to get back out as well. Um, I think he'd done a perfect mix of um, really hard hands, right type of combination volume, and the fact that he would shoot him for the takedown at the right times too, just to give Burgos those extra elements to think about. Yeah, definitely. They looked like they could have been a weight class apart, them two. Yeah, they did. Oh, yeah. so big? The difference was, though, wasn't it? Um, mm. Josh Emmett said after the fight he'd like to, um, you know, he's not, not going to fight anyone below him now. He wants to fight above. You know, he's age 35, similar to um, Jim Miller uh, in mm. that, you know, now if he wants to ever push on and he's, hey, uh, Josh Emmett clearly believes that he's capable of, you know, fighting for a title um, and, you know, with a chin that, that he's got, um, mm. you know, you wouldn't put it past him. Um, mm. It'd be interesting to see who they put him up next. He's recently signed a, a new four fight contract as well with the UFC. So, 
you know, they clearly interested. Um, they, they mm. you know, they clearly think that he's got something about him. Um, yeah, definitely. So. And if you know, if he wants to get out of that gatekeeper role, then it'll be interesting to see. Yeah. What they do with him next? Um, yeah, for me that, that Emmett won that first round, but I'm kind of curious to see what you guys thought of that second round because I thought Emmett may well have lost that second round. He was getting chased down a little bit more, although he was mm-hmm. still throwing the harder shots. I feel like Burgos was uh, able to pour that jab onto him, jab onto him quite a lot, um, and I just uh, it just looked like a real stalker, which so impressed me. You know, I know we sort of talk about how impressive Emmett was, but it really impressed me the way Burgos was, kept trying to yeah. shut him down. And um, it wasn't like he was trying to run away from the fire. He was like, "No, I'm going to, I'm going to go straight into that burning house." Um, it was just so impressive as well. You know, it really was. Mm-hmm. And this guy, we're going to definitely see more of. Um, what's his age? I think he's what, twenty eight? Was he? Uh, Is that right? Yeah, Burgos, uh, twenty nine. Shane's twenty nine. Twenty nine years old. Yeah. So you know, I would suggest you know he's still learning his craft, um, and he's going to come back. Ever better, he really is. Uh, that is not the last we're going to see of Burgos, but no, I am. Um, I gave the second round to Burgos. Um, okay. I felt like his. I felt like he, like you said, I felt like he chased Emmett down a little bit in that second round. Um, what impressed mm. me about Burgos actually throughout the round is as impressive as Emmett was throughout the fight. Was um, I felt like Shane Burgos changed his plan up a little bit in each round. Mm. That second round, he kind of chased him down a little bit. It was with. Uh, so kind of hitting him with that left hand whereas mm. the first round he picked up on the leg injury and was focusing on that those, yeah focused on that um did you give would you do give the second round to uh richard um look, maybe i wasn't paying close enough attention but i still gave it to josh because okay. shane was like marching him down but i feel like he's still taking shots and he was i feel like he's walking onto shots mm-hmm. and um he uh, was he, he was he took so many shots in round one, and I feel like the strategy didn't change that much in round two, and he was still taking shots. Um, and uh, Josh even knocked his mouthpiece out in that in round two. Hmm. I don't know if you remember that. that. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Uh, yeah, he did. And l- allowed him to pick it up. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> what a gentleman. And, and I was impressed that he, yeah, he had the, he was so courteous. He was like, oh, hmm. do you want your gum shield? Like, he doesn't have yeah. to do that. Well, guy's lost his gum shield. He yeah. can go straight for the kill still, and so the ref stops it, and... Yeah, money on the line. It's the UFC careers on the line, and you know, really it goes to show. Control, it just goes to show what kind of man Emmett is. Not in terms of being a, a gentleman, but I think he just wants to know whether he can beat someone as yeah. fairly as possible. But I also he didn't, think he didn't he have to be that, that confident as well. Mouthpiece. Mm. Yeah, I think he was that confident though that he was, you know, consistently hitting him clean. Mm. That you know he was comfortable enough to say, you know, pick your mouthpiece mm-hmm. up. I'm, gonna I'm giving all three. Anyway. <laughs> I'm giving all three rounds to Josh. Yeah, yeah, yeah I can I mean, understand that. I gave that middle um, one to, to to Burgos, but um, what? We'll just take us through your thoughts of that final round, then, Dan. Uh, the final round is when Emmett started really hitting, and you know when I was saying about how good uh, Burgos' head position was, although it was still good, um, he started getting affected by those shots and started getting put on his ass, and uh, Emmett would do some, you know, in guard. Ground and pound as well. He, he wasn't there to pass guard. He wasn't there to do anything pretty. He was just there to just keep there to banging, hit. keep hitting in on that head and racking up that damage and racking up on the scorecard. Um, I think Burgos began to realise that this was slipping away from him. Um, he started fighting with his hands a little lower. He started looking for the head kicks but didn't have the zap on him needed to try and put Emmett away. But it was nice to see... Yeah, absolutely. It was... 
yeah, I agree. But it was nice to see that he was aware of where he may well have been in the fight and was yeah. looking to try to aim at Ebbett's head and, and, and try and get him out of there and try and steal, steal the fight from underneath Emmett's feet. But Emmett was just too experienced. Um, and I'm so excited. I just hope his knee is not such a huge holdback and we do get to see him soon and see Emmett continue this role of success that he seems to be having at the minute. Yeah, yeah, I just I had a quick look to see if there was anything confirmed. Um, and there's no confirmation of his uh, leg injury. It just says suspected ACL. So I ah. think at the moment that's probably based off his interview, which he gave, where sure. he, he said, you know, I tore my ACL. But, um, you know, I, I wonder whether that could have been lost in a bit in, um, like, the adrenaline of him doing his post-fight interview and him saying, like, I tore my leg up. Or I right, tore, yeah. up, tore up my ACL rather than sure. he tore his ACL. Because as far mm -hmm. as I'm aware, if you tear your ACL, you've got to have like your leg reconstructed, your knee reconstructed. So I'm not sure yeah. how much you, you know, how much of a fight you could put up with one. But yeah. I, I, I think assume there's... there's also different levels of tear and stuff in there. So yeah, yeah, they do seem to do wonder, wonders with people's knees these days. Oh, God. You hear over the years, don't you, of horrendous knee injuries and. People mm. come back from them. I mean, look look at things like the leg break that Anderson Silva had. You know, he's still come back and still looking yeah, yeah. to fight now, I believe. Isn't he? He's looking to oh, fight yeah. Conor McGregor yeah. was one of the things that I'd seen. No, yeah. I don't want to see that, i got to say. Well, yeah, I don't see the point in it. No. no. Um, well, funny enough, when I when they told me i got to have um, my knee replacement surgery, I was like, oh, I can't be having that as well. But they said, oh, you'll be, you know, you'll be back up on your feet by the next day. Uh, the things they can do, particularly with knees, is just you know it's unbelievable. Um, and it's also you got to be like it's about the recovery mostly. You got to obsess over when you're injured, getting better. It's like your rehabilitation, over your re yeah, rehabilitation, really important. Yeah. I've yeah, had to watch a, Tom really work overcome in, his injuries, and it's it's kind of was, I've almost seen him do a blueprint how you get over one. You know, mm. really mm. So first time he he broke his leg and that really messed up his knee. Um, he was supplementing with things like krill oil, anti-inflammatories and stuff like that mm. daily, if you know what I mean. And then yeah, constantly yeah. doing mobility every day. Yeah. Got to do it. Yeah, I think like with rehab, it's like it's almost like um, you get what you get out what you put in, I suppose. Yeah. If you if you go that extra mile and you, you know, you, you've got your supplements and you're doing physio maybe a couple of times a day and you're, you're, yeah, you're doing All the about exercises. nutrition and physio, I think. Yeah. After but if you, um, if you kind of just go and do, like, for a non-fighter as well, like, if you just go to your rehab once a week, don't really do the stretches, it's going to take the full mm. recovery time or whatever that they set. It just, it is what it is. Tom has had some nasty injuries, mind, haven't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Real ankle break, you know what, arm dislocation. You know the arm break, which at the moment when I saw it, I kind of thought I was, was on me, Danny, on the other side of the fence. I thought I was having a bit of a hallucination. It's just mm. flipping around his arm. I'm like, whoa. Is that, that's the one in that Bellator, happened? wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. When I saw that, I was like, oh my God, is this career over? But um, mm. he, I, I, he never complains about the arm. Mm. Never. No. How long yeah. did that Compared take to his leg break? From? Compared to his leg break, the arm injury seems like a minor. It's just that the arm yeah. injury came at such a horrible time, just as his career was career. starting to skyrocket, mm. if you know what I mean. Like, 5-0, mm. yeah. um, takes one loss, very close decision. Um, the 
uh, months prior, he's trialing for the Ultimate Fighter and felt like he could handle everyone there. And then within like a month or two, just it skyrockets downwards. So I don't mm. think the physical injury was the big deal with that. It was more like stress and that. Yeah, I suppose yeah, Tom... like the, the mental side of it, isn't it? From when mm. you feel like you're on the brink of doing something like really special mm. and then like a, a terrible injury like that and takes your feet yeah. out from underneath you is going to be a, a lot to kind of yeah. to process, isn't it? How long did he take yeah. to recover from that physically? He was, well, he was back in the gym like quite soon, just working with hand, one hand. And then, then he just walked away from the sport completely. I think that was quite needed actually. Because uh, it's trauma, you know. Mm. And then um, when he come back, he was just really rushing into things. But uh, I don't know. I think it's always it's forever ongoing. When you got an injury like that, it's it's daily maintenance. If you start eating crap food, you're gonna get lots of inflammation around the joint where the injury is. Lot sugar. So I, I'm I'm lucky. I don't have. It's not that I'm lucky. I train well and I train smart. So I haven't got any major injuries. But I've got things that bother me. And when I mm. eat crap food, if I'm drinking lots and I'm having lots of sugar, then I get all this inflammation. Like it tends to be my elbows and the pain just comes up. I eat mm. correctly. I eat anti-inflammatory foods and uh, that I've got no symptoms. So um, I think diet's a huge factor. So I think with injuries as horrendous as the ones Tom has, it's just about daily maintenance. If you know what mm. I mean? Constant mobility and nutrition. So um, And Tom studies about his nutrition. Uh, so collagen is the thing we're looking at now. Collagen is key for um, injuries to ligaments and joints. Um, uh, glycine is a really important thing that helps. The, um, so your body uses glycine to produce collagen. Um, okay. And we, in a so caveman type diet, they would get glycine from the gristle in the meat, from the bone marrow. Whereas now we buy all our food from the supermarket. So you just get chicken breast, steaks. So we just get the protein content from the food. Yeah. But if you think like a previous diet, we're getting lots of nutrition from every part of the animal, like the pig's nose, the ears, the eyeballs. Back in the day, we wouldn't waste any of that. That Them kind of hard tissues, like in the joints, ligaments, all them gross bits that people yeah. discard, them gross bits of the meat is where all the collagen is. Mm -hmm. And that's not in our diets anymore. And that's where you find mm -hmm. glycine as well. So... Um, to supplement mm. with glycine is huge for joint injuries because yeah. it will help the body, it will stimulate the body to produce more collagen. Yeah, you are so, what yeah, you eat nutrition. at the end of the day. Yeah. Yeah, if that, if that is a fact then, man, so you should start eating brains. Mm -hmm. I should start eating what? Brains. Well, it might help my brain grow. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I will. Anyway, uh, I, I think I need some glycine if it helps with joints. <laughs> Jesus. That's what I need. Some bloody... Uh, some glycine and stuff in my joints. I think Danny needs an anti-inflammatory diet. There's loads of inflammation <laughs> around his belly. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. I don't mind that. Part of you don't like it when it's on top of your face when we're in North South, do you? <laughs> no. Yeah, I'll I'll get the I'll get a punch for that next time we train. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you can get some digs. Uh, a lot of people must be looking at this, wondering what's going on with your stubble. And so I'll just explain. Mm. He grew a beard and he fell asleep one night with a chewing gum in his uh, mouth and woke up with it stuck in his beard. So, uh, yeah, he had to mm. tug it all out. It's left him with patches. Just hard like Jose Aldo. That's, that's a good look now. <laughs> Basically, 
basically when I had the beard, that's when beards were the thing. That's the, the but then I was like, I was going around town and I was like, there's too many hipsters with beards these days. So I just got rid of it. <laughs> Okay, so yeah. what's going on with the hair? When did that? When did that come in fashion? That hairstyle, so the comb cool over. That I actually started molting. That's like I'm not. I'm not like these people. Yeah, this is what it's like in it, our gym site. Then I don't even have to shave. You know, so who's the real winner here? Yeah. <laughs> I wish like the your body helping you out, man. Because I knew I wanted to pit, I've, I've even to get on subject. I was going to use my cup to get on subject, just so yeah, I could talk you about your patches and your beard. Oh, lovely! <laughs> I feel you, like I'm kissing Sai every time I drink out of it. I want that cup so I can reminisce. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but Danny, honestly, I wish, I wish I wish I had alopecia on my balls because that would save me some time. <laughs> and trim them. <laughs> That's me well, on my like face, it. didn't it? Like, what's, that's not fair. <laughs> that's, but I don't want alopecia of your balls because it don't tickle my chin then. Are you going to edit this, Ty? Yeah, maybe. I might leave it in for both of you. Oh, dear. The this is what we're like all the time. Oh, dear. Right, main event. Curtis Blake, yes. ranked number three versus number seven, Alexander Volkov. Yeah, Curtis let's not Blade. do this Curtis, round by round. Curtis Blades <laughs> was good, wasn't he? Yeah, really impressive. Um, you know, Volkov from the get-go was really just showing no... Attention or diligence to the fact that Blade was going to want to take him down at some point. We know Volkov comes from a, a, a you know pedigree kickboxing background. We know what he's all about on the feet. Of course, Blade was going to shoot in and try and take him down, but he picked up the leg way too easy. There was no lead leg stripping, no circling of footwork, and uh, and no threatening the certain types of strikes that you can do uh, to to make it harder for a wrestler to engage. Um, yeah, so. You know, Volkov really deserved what was happening to him throughout the rounds. And really, all rounds, apart from round four and five, were very, very similar. The only chances that Volkov had come late in the five-round fight, I think had it been three rounds, it would have been a, a three-round whitewash completely from, from Blade. I just still think Blade won every round. But Volkov did come on stronger towards the latter part of the round because Blade's takedowns, they take energy. And he took him down incredible. He's got really high stats, hasn't he, for his takedowns now. Uh, but they all take energy. And he did fatigue a little bit in round four and round five. And Volkov did look like he was going to come back and, you know, maybe cause an upset. But Blade's a pretty good striker himself. He, he had some successes against Volkov. Um, but the nice thing about Blade's strategy, and this goes back down to IQ, he would strike with Volkov a little bit. He was scoring on Volkov, which was surprising Volkov because Volkov, I think, thought he was going to be shot in on all the time. But Blade struck with him a little bit. As soon as Volkov tried to trade back in any meaningful way, Blade was back shooting in on him. He really yeah. smothered Volkov. Um, and it was a little bit like what we spoke about with Miller versus Roberts, giving away a height advantage, a length advantage, reach advantage. you got to push in close. And uh, Blade did that. And he did that very, very well. Uh, Blade's really gone up in my estimation. We was actually talking about his um, uh, his fights that he's had in the past. He's beat some really, really good guys, hasn't he? Um, yeah, he, he's up there. He's he's up there for sure. Impressive. Uh, what did you think, Gretch? Um, yeah, it was a quite one-sided fight, to be honest. Um, it's actually the first time that I've seen either Volkov or Blade's fight. And when I was watching it, it kind of looks like uh, when you're watching Habib 
just maul someone. Mm. It reminded me of that. Um, and I wasn't um, impressed so much with Volkov, and I don't want to sort of criticise him heavily because, you know, he's a UFC fighter and he's top of his game. But um, there's some simple things that he wasn't doing. And like I said, Danny's got all of our amateurs doing that sort of stuff, like stuff in the head when, when, when he's taking him down. And he's just letting his letting um, um, blades rest his head on his body instead of posting on it to move the head away, mm. make his grip weaker. Um, so I thought maybe Volkov was just coasting because he knows it's a five-round fight. And I thought maybe he was just... Because he didn't seem to be doing much at all. I thought um, Blades was dominant in the striking and the grappling. And I thought maybe Volkov was just kind of like not giving anything away too much in rounds one and two and trying to pick up his game later on. And I did see slight strategy change from round three. Um, um, so, he, well, actually, no. I'd say more from round four because he, he timed a good knee as mm. Blades went for the shoot. But, like, you know, if you knee someone, you, you land correct, that could finish the fight or, mm. or completely change where the fight goes. And he didn't time any knees like that to stop the takedown in the early rounds. I only saw that in round four. So I thought maybe it just took him that many rounds to figure out his patterns. Um, round three, I remember uh, Volkov had like a, he had a guillotine attempt. I thought, okay, this could be something quite nice. But he wasn't leaning on the head with his shoulder, leaning heavy on the head. And then he had hooks and didn't even try to elevate Blade's base to see if maybe he could sweep and get the guillotine on top. I just felt like he was just trying to survive. Like, mm. with that guillotine attack, he didn't really attack it. He just thought it might be there. And then he let go. Um, so it was, it was quite one-sided, I think. Well, it was one-sided. Yeah, well, it was. I thought it was very one-sided. But uh, Blades, as we mentioned uh, earlier in the show, you know, he's lost two fights, uh, both to Ngannou, which, you know, let's, let's be real. A lot of people are going to lose to Ngannou over the years. Yeah. Um, He's beaten some massive names. He was very, very impressive. And, you know, Alexander Volkov is not a mug or, you know, no. previously um, because I didn't think he did really well last night at all. Um, yeah. I was actually, yeah, I was very disappointed by the way uh, the fight overall went in terms of what I was expecting. I was kind of hoping for a bit of a, a, bit of a banger and then maybe I was hoping... Yeah that Volkov might go after him and then we might see Blades have to resort to his uh, his ground skills. Mm. But yeah. we never kind of got that because no. we just I mean, never Vol really... Volkov was that lost. He even did his own takedown in round four as well, didn't he? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, we never thought we would see something like that from Volkov, but yeah, he, he did. did. He ended up scoring his own little takedown. Yeah, Don't show how bad things were going for him. He, as he well, made I noticed a that, uh, adjustment in round three yeah. by lowering his base. Yeah. Yeah, he did try to lower your base, but I think he was better to be more elusive. Yeah. Um, because the problem with lowering your base, okay, it lowers your centre of gravity, but then you're going to be locking horns with someone who can out-wrestle you. I think yeah. what would have been better is for him to shallow up his base and actually get lively off footwork and, and try to keep go back to basics, build on a jab. Um, once you get the jab landing, then build with your cross punch, then look for uppercuts and do the kind of strikes that are going to make someone who's trying to engage in the wrestling yeah. Um, have some anxiety to try and fight through. So, but you got yeah, to build off a jab first. He didn't set anything up, and 
then yeah. that that timed knee, he only that the knee that he timed off the shoot was in round mm. four. You know, that's three yeah. rounds of getting mauled before you sort of start employing that kind of strategy. Yeah, yeah, don't know. Yeah, it was good though. I um, like I said, there was a couple of points within the fight where it kind of took a bit of a lull, and I was like, oh, was wasn't quite what I was hoping for. But then you know, not you can't have can't have everything you want. Can't have everything you want all the time. Mm. And uh, mm. it was pretty good. It was a good card. Um, Blades. Did you have Blades winning every round? Did you give yeah, him rounds? Yeah, every round. Off? Mm. I didn't give yeah. any to him. Uh, so the final scores for the unanimous decision to Curtis Blades. 49-46, 48-47, 48-46. Mm. I was surprised by some of those cards, I've got to say. But I added a 50-45 for Blades. But, yeah. you, know, you know, it is where it is. Yeah, um, yeah absolutely. Go on, Dan. Did anyone see Clay Wheeler versus Bobby Green? Because I'm a big fan of Clay Wheeler. Met the guy as well. Mm. He's tiny. I saw it, proper yeah. tiny. Is that on <laughs> um, the um, pre-show, is it? That was on the prelims, yeah. He yeah, fought Bobby Green. But Bobby Green's better than the results that he's had show for. He's had a couple of, more. he's had several very, very close decisions go against him, which really could have gone either way. And this was another one that could have potentially gone against him. Clay Wheeler was, you know, sensational when you think that he was really fighting up at a weight that he really shouldn't be in. I mean, the guy is proper small. But the mm. way he did the takedowns on Bobby Green, those first two takedowns, he proper picked him up in the air. And he was behind the yeah. knee, wasn't even on the hip. He actually picked yeah. him up from the knee. Mm. I mean, that's incredible athletic athleticness to, to, to do that and, and detailed understanding of the wrestling game. And it was a real wrestle fest. But eventually Bobby Green's uh, size and, and length way down on uh, Clay Wheeler, which I think will give Bobby Green the, the, the result in the end. Bobby Green was playing it a little risky with that low down guard, but he don't seem to use a guard, does he? He likes to fight with his hands down by the side of his waist. But I really enjoyed the fight. It was nice to see uh, Clay Wheeler still still look like he can, can take wins, although it didn't go his way this time around. But it was good to see Bobby Green back on winning ways and hopefully be back up on the main card and trying to build on this result. Mm. I was well excited to see Guido on the card. Yeah, yeah. He's, yeah. he's, he's kind of he's a veteran, and I, I miss them sort of days of UFC. I don't like the new school as much. Uh, I don't right. find the the characters aren't as exciting to me. I like I do like a fighter mm. with personality. You know what I mean? Mm. That makes me want to get behind them and support them. And Clay Guido, yeah, 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 wild man. But um, yeah, he did it, really, Clay Guido as well. Boxing's not that good, is it? Like if I'm being no, critical. it's not. He uses he uses it to clinch. Um, and he had yeah. successes with his hands because Bobby Green fights with no guard. So he did have, he did get some successes, but he was doing it. He wanted to clinch. He wanted to get the takedown and uh, rack up the scoring in that way on Bobby Green. But Bobby Green was using those long arms as well, wasn't he, to get a few guillotines that looked like they could hit home. But Clay Weeder spun out of them really well and, and made a wrestling scenario out of it. And um, it was a good fight to watch. So you know, if anyone's watching this that didn't see the prelims, um, some of the prelims had some interesting things. And there's another thing to mention as well. Um, Richard, you said over, I can't remember the name of the fighter off the top of my head. You sent me over a little oh, clip of a guy who wanted like to quit a, on the stall. He had a, yeah, he had a Dutch sounding name. I've actually got some notes. Where put them? Um, that was, uh, it was his USC debut. I felt a bit sad for him, you know. Ah, uh, okay. Um, it was um, Austin Hubbard versus Max Roskop. I think, I don't know right. if I'm pronouncing his name right. And which uh, fight was it that was on the stall? It was Roscop, wasn't it? Uh, Roscop was on the stall, yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, good wrestling background. He was 5-0 and at the time. Um, 
all wins coming by submission. So he'd finished all, all fights. Mm. So, you know, it's looking really promising for him. And, it, and it's his UFC debut. I think uh, he, got the, he got the fight on late notice because Hubbard was originally set to fight Joe Selecki. I've never seen Joe Selecki right. fight, but Mm-mm. Selecki's 9-2, and two, Hubbard's 11-4. and four. So, I don't know. Uh, I had a little stalk on Max, Max's Instagram just to see if he put any statement out. But it looked quite sad because I thought he had a great first round. Like, he looked really good. Yeah. Uh, it was, and it was, really, it, was, it was an exciting first round. It was brilliant. Um, yeah. Uh, people, from... people obviously, uh, some people ain't watched it. The, the situation was he was on the stall saying, I, I want out. I, I'm done. Mm. And, uh, done with and his corner was saying, yeah. And, and his cornermen were kind of arguing with him, saying, no, you're not done. Just give me one more round. Just take him down. Mm. You're going to be fine. He goes, no, I haven't got it. I, I, I can't do this anymore. And he was, yeah. literally, was literally debating about his career. Jeez. In this one minute, and it was such an interesting situation. And uh, and he goes, No, you're going to go back out. Well. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah it was like really sad. He goes, No, I haven't got it. I, I haven't got what it takes. And you know, what a time to realize you ain't got what it takes with your UFC debut with an unbeaten record. Yeah, I felt really sad for him. Um, it all changed round two. I think he got hit a couple times in round two and he got hit hard. And I'm, mm. I'm guessing he might not have been hit like that before. Um, right. And then, because uh, round one was a good round, round two, he mm. turned into a punch bag. And it right. weren't because, I don't know, he just seemed, he weren't, in round two, he didn't look like he was fighting. He was just right. sort of staying there, let the guy throw shots, and he wasn't throwing much back. His whole, yeah. his whole attitude changed in round two. Right, um, yeah. the, another Strange. point to make as well, actually, that the commentators mentioned a name, and I don't know who it was, but they, uh, I don't know if he had a relative pass away as well, similar to... Right. Um, who else was it that was talking about? Uh, uh, Belal Mohammed. Yeah. Uh, not so Bahad, they, the other guy. Um, they mentioned that. Um, it must have been an important... If you listen to watch the fight back, the commentators, it's not Bisping, it's the other one, and he, he mentions a name as if we're supposed to know who this was. I didn't know who it was. But so-and-so passed a little while back. I don't know mm-hmm. if that was on his mind, but... Uh, okay. Maybe, maybe. It's, inter- but it's really an interesting, interesting scenario. Very, yeah. Really interesting scenario. I was literally almost arguing in the corner. He said, no, you are going out. And he's like, no, uh, I'm not going looked, out. Look, confidence started round one. Mm. And then during round two, just lost his will to fight. Yeah. But the, you know, yeah. this is what people got to realise, you know. People just take fighting <clears throat> for granted now. There's mm. a lot of things that go on in people's personal lives that can have an effect on your training and the actual fight itself. Mm. Um, your actual training camp it, itself is... it's it, it's testing to the soul it really is and some people it breaks and Mm. he broke um yeah i feel sorry for the guy but what do you think danny do you think we'll ever see him fight again or do you think that was uh is it yeah i mean or do you think he's retired proper yeah you've got to wonder whether you know he really has got what it takes to quit like that on the stall Mm. he's got to have hit the point where yeah it was not worth going through for him. The reality hit mm-hmm. home. You know, um, we, it's, not, it's not exactly difficult if you wanted to pick out certain fights and get mm-hmm. your guy to have six or seven or no fight record. Yeah. But then he gets a big opportunity, gets hit, like mm-hmm. you say, a few times and realises, oh, wow, this is what fighting's all about. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I looked to, at his record realize... and a lot of his uh, previous opponents, you know, they had very worthy records. It wasn't. Right. It's not a padded record either. 
Um, but right. like I said, he submitted them all. So maybe he, he's not used to being in, in a proper fight. And when you go to the UFC, sure. it's very unlikely that you're going in there and coming out unharmed. Um, yeah. But it's, I don't know. It's interesting. He seemed really promising. Um, and then just, yeah, I guess he's done. And it's, that's a, a hell of a chink in your armor to show the world, if you know what I mean. Yeah, you know, fighting, yeah. professional fighting is, is very much about psychology as well. And mm. uh, I don't know, to do, to do that on, on the world stage when all your, all your future opponents are going to be watching that fight. But mm. maybe, maybe it's only relevant to that time in that fight. Maybe it's yeah, something yeah, else yeah. going on. But mm. it sounds yeah. like he, he's not got the fight in him. Maybe he'll get yeah. us wrong, I don't know. We're never going to know people's in-depth backstories. There could have been a mm. lot of things leading up to this. Um, yeah. He could have been having doubts in his you. training. You yeah. just don't know. But yeah, yeah, it was an interesting situation that you sent over. And it, it's a late notice fight for him. Late notice so, fight for him. Yeah. But it's like, I think you forgive me or Tom, like a late notice fight in UFC. Like, like we'd do a dive even on these domestic platforms in the UK. Mm. And uh, yeah. it's UFC. It's like, you, you, you risk your life in, in um, many other promotions and then you get to the big time and you, you don't mm. bite down on that gumshield because you've had to do it for all your other fights. Mm. Was, I was really intrigued by it. Mm. So, so maybe on, yeah. maybe that added, was on the prelims, Rich, was it? Yeah, I think the guy might have had an easy ride getting that 5-0 and record, maybe. Who knows? Mm. Yeah. Not been right. tested prior to UFC. Yeah. I'll have a look at that. So, um, all right, just to finish off then, we'll um, we'll have a quick look at the, the card for next Saturday, which is quite a good card, actually. Um, so the main event of the prelims is um, <coughs> Luis Penner versus Kama uh, Worthy, which two young fighters who have both got a very... Uh, very good, very good record. Particularly, well, both of them have got a very good record. So I'll be interested by that one. Um, and then the main card is uh, even more interesting. The main event is Dustin Poirier versus Dan Hooker. That is going to be an insane mm. fight um, at lightweight. Richard, who do you think is going to win that? That's really hard. Um, I'm kind of thinking Dan Hooker. Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm going towards I, Dan Hooker as well. Um. I don't know. I just think because Dan Hooker's kind of like he's newer to the game than, than Poirier is, and and Poirier always looks amazing. But I just feel like uh, Dan Hooker's at this point where he's always getting better. If you know what I mean. And I think when you've been in the game so long, like Poirier, you do plateau a little bit. Mm. And Hooker then lost his last fight though. Didn't Hooker lose his last fight though? I think he did. He did didn't um, he? Yeah, he did. He lost. So that was going to be interesting. Quite a big fight, wasn't it? Um, that could affect yeah. you in two ways. You could light a firecracker up your ass and go get it yeah. or it could really harm your confidence and unless you've been yeah. like knocked out dramatically it won't hurt his confidence that much I don't yeah. think uh, so I think he he's going to do to Paul Felder that's oh well yeah uh, Felder's amazing uh, sorry no he beat Paul Felder by split decision uh, in his last fight um, oh right so no you haven't I can't see a loss on there oh was it maybe when we were talking about this we thought he might have lost because he yeah, he foot worked away a lot, and Felder was really scoring on him. That's right. And we felt he Paul beat, Felder had won. Yeah, he beat Paul Felder on a split decision. But um, yeah, basically, out of the seventeen media members who were in there, twelve of them scored it for Felder, and only yeah. four scored it for Hooker. But yeah, that's right. I remember didn't. Yeah, but I think Dan Hooker's game. I I think you know he he's got quite elusive footwork. <clears throat> Um, and I think that's going to go against Poirier. I think Poirier is really good when someone tries to, you know, meet him force on force. I think that's where he mm. 
comes into his own with his boxing and stuff. But massive gonna score. Well. Yeah, he's going to hit, move, hit, move, and I think Poirier is going to be frustrated. Yeah, I think it's well, either way. It's going to be an absolute rip roaring fight. Um, yes. I really, really do believe it'll be a great fight. Another fight which I think actually is going to be very interesting and. I will be fascinated to see how it goes. Is Mike Perry versus Mickey Gall? Um, mm -hmm. Mickey Gall is excellent on the ground. Uh, Mike mm -hmm. Perry is pretty much just. He's excellent. on a tear at the minute. Yeah, he's uh, he's a very, very, very capable UFC fighter. Um, and there's been some people, you know, calling for him to get some bigger fights. Um, yeah. But if he, t I gotta say, if he takes Mickey Mickey Gall lightly, then. He might be in for a, a shock because whilst Mickey Gall, people associate him with that CM Punk fight, um, which mm. was a bit of a joke. But Mickey Mickey Gall's pretty good on the ground. Um, yeah. So you know, he, I think Mike Perry should beat him. Let's not be you know, mm. let's not be around the bush. But also, you know, I think he's um, you've got to be careful. Um, although I saw a picture yesterday um, from his training camp, and Mike Perry had cuts. Literally blood pouring from his knuckles. Yeah, I saw that. Some bruises all over oh, his really? face. Looked like he got drunk yeah. and punched a wall or something. <laughs> I don't know. Like it, it didn't look like a training injury, did it? Because you got mm. when you're training, you got your hands wrapped and they're in glove. Like it, it was all grazed up, wasn't it? It looked strange. It didn't indicate as to how he had cut himself up that way as well. Yeah, it seems smart. Yeah, it'd be it'd be interesting, but uh, that's not what you want to be going into a fight with, like cuts that could open up in a week. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's yeah. like this next yeah. Saturday. Yeah. Um, uh. Then we've got uh, Ian Hennis versus Brendan Allen. I've got to say, I don't know a great deal about Brendan Allen. He hasn't even got a picture on the UFC site. He's got like a shadow, so I don't mm. know whether he's new. Um, so look, he's only twenty four. From the US, um, <coughs> rapper, fourteen and three. They're both fourteen and three, actually. Um, yeah, I don't know a great deal about either. Mm. Who you got for that one, Dan? Who you uh, who do you think is going to win? Uh, let's go for the, the, the new lap. And I don't know either of them very well uh, to comment. So yeah, it'd be a guessing game on that one. And um, what about you, Rich? Um, I don't actually know them fighters, so I can't okay. call it. Yeah. So if I'm if I'm going to bet, I'm just going to say what Danny said because he's a genius. <laughs> well, this is true. Yeah. I'm still going to hit you in training. Oh, <laughs> I'm still going to give you more black eyes. No, because look, <laughs> move, look, look, slip. Um, Why slip. you got so many marks on your face, Richard? Look at that. <laughs> look I fell. I fell. <laughs> I've not been training, social distancing, and all that. Like... <laughs> oh, there was yeah. lots of distance, like a whole arm length. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Then the last two fights was uh, Gian Villante versus Morris Green, and uh, Aspen Ladd versus Sarah McMahon. That'll be a good one. The the female mm. fight I think will be a an interesting mm. one. But um, interesting cards next week, particularly yeah. those those top two fights, uh, Perry and Gaul and Poirier and Hooker will be very interesting. Yeah, and that prelim fight as well. And then you've got sure. the female fight. So there's at least like four fights straight off, which are interesting. And then you've got a few fighters, which we're not as familiar with. So we'll see, see how they get on, see how they go. And then after that, we've got the old, uh, the Fight Island uh, cards coming up with mm -hmm. uh, 
there's all sorts of people fighting on them. You've got Modestus is fighting. You've got yeah. uh, Molly McCann is fighting. Brett Johns is fighting. Uh, John Phillips is fighting. Loads of British fighters fighting over those three shows. Um, so that'll be really interesting. I think, um, so like on the Wednesday, you've got a card where Modestus is fighting. Yeah. And then the, I think it's the, the Saturday after that Wednesday, Brett and John Phillips are fighting and, and Molly McCann, I think, all on the same card. So right. they're going to be uh, quite good to... Um, to talk about and whatnot it's going to be a there's going to be a very busy week uh with it's going to be like three fights in a week but uh mm. yeah all some good stuff uh coming up danny's going off his little trip to dubai yes right. yep it's going to be quite a nice experience that yes island looks very very nice yeah it's uh, i'm it sure does. it won't i'm sure it won't be uh slumming it mate so, no that's it say that yeah, um, Danny, you'll be like one of the few people flying anywhere this year. I know. I know. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, it's like a privilege. You yeah, fly anywhere. Yeah, yeah. I don't think a lot's going to happen for the rest of this year, regards flights. No, no. Uh, sad so, times. Sad times. Fight of the night was Josh Emmett versus Shane Burgos. Performance of the night went to Jim Miller, and the other performance of the night went to Justin James, which I'm assuming was on the pre-show, which I haven't watched yet. Uh, I, haven't I watched the Justin one. James fight. I was, was it good? Just trying to catch up. Uh, yeah, Justin James was another late replacement. Um, oh. So he's fight, fighting Frank Camacho, who was supposed to fight a guy called Matt. Well, I can't even pronounce his surname, but uh, yeah, it was okay. Like um, Justin had like the sort of bolo style of punching, lots of looping overhands. It was a good mm-hmm. fight. Good stuff. Right, uh, Richard, tell the people it was where knockout, they can... actually. Sorry, so, quick knockout, yeah. is it? Yeah, yeah, sorry. Um, but, like, so, yeah, um, he, early on, he keeps landing the left hook, mm. and then uh, then he completely stuns him with the left hook. And then um, I think Herb Dean was reffing this one, but Herb stopped it whilst um, Frank was on his feet. Oh, okay. Mm. Yeah, oh, so, right. like, he was going to go out, out on his feet. Like, it was a fair yeah. stoppage. Frank didn't uh, dispute it at Complain. all. But, oh, um, yeah. yeah, it was just... just um, so, Justin, much shorter late replacement like he's only had I think he got I think Michael Bisming said he took the fight on Wednesday Jeez. and then, you know what's yeah. interesting as well another interesting thing actually is um, Frank missed weight so the fella who's actually this first time I've seen any of these two fight but the guy who was originally set to fight missed weight anyway so I'm thinking uh, do you know either, what's happened there he, he lost his opponent eyes off the prize when his original opponent pulled out yeah that's and possible and he thought oh fuck it, I'll eat some cheesecake because he's stressed and whatnot. Um, but yeah, he missed weight. And often, so when, when, a, when, when a fighter misses weight, yeah, they get deducted, which is good because it's not fair. They've got their weight advantage and maybe they haven't made the same sacrifices to get in the correct category. But often when a fighter misses weight, you can bank on them not winning because it, mm. it says their preparation's wrong. It says the mindset yeah. is quite likely wrong. Um, it says that they weren't that uh, motivated for the fight or they had other stuff going on, like lots of, mm. like with fighting, you've got to get your other pressures in life sorted mm. so they don't interfere with the fight camp. So I feel like when a fighter misses weight, it's a, it's a bad sign for them. Um, mm. And then this late replacement steps in, uh, Justin James, uh, or Justin James, and he just runs at him. He's, of course, so he got the fight on Wednesday, probably not fit enough for all three rounds. Gets yeah, up in gets space real quick, just throwing bolo style punches, 
big overhands and uh, you can just throw in the left hook a lot. Eventually, lands the left hook, really rocks him, swarms him up onto the fence and then the um, referee stops it when mm. um, Frank's nearly pretty much out on his feet. It was yeah. good, actually. Really quick. Yeah. Early stop I'll have a little look back at that one. Mm, no, yeah. no, I'm going to watch it now, actually. Um, it was a good fight. Richard, tell the people where they can find you on social media. Um, just Instagram, really. Um, Facebook's mainly for friends and family. but um, So Instagram is r underscore merns, which is M-E-A-R-N-S. So, yeah, catch me there. there go. Danny Button, no social media, but you can follow the Danny Button Fight Show on Twitter and Instagram at DannyButtonFS. So there you go. That's Danny's social media. I created it for him because I got fed up, fed <laughs> up of him not having I'm really any. bad with that sort of thing. And I got fed up of tagging him in stuff on Instagram where he's actually got a social media account and he never does anything with it. Yeah, there I don't run it. I don't there do anything with that. And by the way, Richard, you've been doing this with a bogey hanging at your left nostril all the time. <laughs> you should have told me earlier. <laughs> no, I wanted to wait till the end. <laughs> such a, you look like such a big bogey. A, such a child, Just a big bogey. Big shiny <laughs> <am>. bogey. <laughs> Richard, nice one for joining me, joining us, mate. I appreciate Thanks. it. You are welcome back on. anytime. Just don't bring Danny with you next time, I think. <laughs> it's my show. It's, it's trouble. It's trouble. <laughs> Cheers, Dan. Appreciate yeah, it. Thank you, always, si. thank you, Richard. Easy, guys. Yeah. And, uh, Good thank chat. Thank you, guys. For, watching, listening, whatever you do. Thank you. See you next time. Cheers. Cool. Podcast Network.